Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. As we've been going through the book of Matthew, again, we have been looking at the fact that you've got a Jewish man, Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. Okay, And so, as we've gone through this so far, we've seen Matthew presenting this, establishing to the Jewish people that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one who was to come. And so, he told us his lineage about his birth, the forerunner who was John the Baptist, about his preparation and such like that. And so we have traveled all the way through. They're looking at his authority and how he transferred his authority to his disciples into this section of the instruction that he's given to his disciples now. Because he's preparing, at this point, he's preparing to go to Jerusalem. As we see in this morning's passage, he's preparing to go to Jerusalem and to die. But then not just die, but what? To resurrect. And so he's preparing his disciples because at that moment, when Jesus goes to the cross and then he raised from the dead, what's going to happen next? Hindsight's twenty twenty, so we can look back and we know what happens after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Immediately or later on? Well, altogether. The, well, the ascension, okay. What happens after the ascension? What's the next major thing? Okay, you guys are going to events. I'm thinking church. Make sense? So who's going to lead? No, well, okay, Jesus is the head. But really, on the earth, who's leading? These guys are. Right? Make sense? So Jesus is going to leave. But now Peter, James, John, the other apostles, the other disciples, are going to be what? They're going to be the leaders. I mean, Jesus is still the head of the church. I get that, spiritually speaking. But on the physical plane, on the physical plane, these guys are going to lead. They have to be prepared. And so I talk about this different times, and it's kind of morbid, but it's not morbid to me. I mean, there's a potential that, you know, I come to church in the morning, I'm in a car wreck, I know. It has to be a really massive, I mean, because I live, like, right on the inside of Old Evans Road. So someone's going to have to come down Old Evans, right, and smash me. But anyways, I die on the way to church. Other than celebrating, what are you guys going to do? Okay? The reality is, the church should what? Should continue to function. Someone needs to be able to what? Step up. That's exactly right. It's not my church. It's not Steve's church. It's not David's church. We may be elders, but it's not our church. It's Jesus' church. And, and Christ places within the body those he seems fit. And so I believe that you're here because God wants you here for whatever purpose. Make sense? And so that, in a sense, my job as a teaching pastor, as a teacher, is to equip you. I use Jesus as my model. My job is to equip you so that when I leave, no, I'm not planning on leaving, <laughs> but when I leave, what? The, continue, the work continues. The work continues, okay? So, so Jesus is teaching them, okay? He gives them the, about the parables of the kingdom, talks about dealing with trials. He talks about how what you believe really and what, how you operate really comes from your heart. Last week, um, we looked at the concept of false doctrine. He warned them about the leaven of the, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, okay? Both legalism and licentiousness, okay? Having an over, 
um, looking at the law and then disregarding the law totally. Today, we get into this little uh, place where we're going to look at it for two weeks on the identity of Christ. Now, this is what's kind of fun about this, and I didn't plan it this way. This is kind of cool. We're going to take a, after this week and next week, we're going to step back from the book of Matthew, and we're going to spend six weeks looking at prayer, because the last week of March is our spring week of prayer and fasting, okay? And so, so the six Sundays prior to that, we're going to focus on prayer, the importance of prayer, the priority of prayer, um, the privilege of prayer, all these things. And uh, so, but the first part we're going to look at in that talking of prayer is what prayer is. And so these two weeks, we're going to be looking at who Christ is. And really, that is the best uh, prelude to us talking about prayer. Because prayer, looking ahead, is what? I mean, what's prayer? It's talking to God. It's talking to God. So who is God? That's exactly what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. This is kind of cool stuff, okay? So, as Chuck read, we're going to be looking at his identity. Now, as we go into this, though, okay, um, it's very important because we're told about where this is going to happen, okay? And so, note verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, okay? Now, in our little journey, we have been traveling with Jesus, okay? And so this is just the last couple of things. And you can see how Jesus has been traveling. Now, the reason I did these ones um, the, the, over the, from the last couple of weeks, what, what do these journeys represent? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, repetition is the key to learning, trying to bring it back out on you, okay? What, what were these journeys representing? Where was Jesus going in these? When he went from Gennesaret up to Tyre, from Tyre, he went down to the Decapolis. What was all about that? Who was he ministering to? Gentiles, very good. He was ministering to Gentiles, not to the Jews. And it was up in Tyre where we see the woman who comes and she wants the healing of her daughter. And Jesus said, it's not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. And he said, oh, woman, you have such great faith. And then he heals her daughter, right? And then from there, we're told, literally, that he skirted past the Sea of Galilee and he went down into the Decapolis. That's the city, ten cities. And we're told that we had the, the seven baskets, which were the seven nations, right? So that Jesus is going. Now from here, from here, we know that Jesus once goes over to Magdala and he comes up to Bethsaida. But from Bethsaida, he's going to travel now up to a place called Pania or Caesarea Philippi, which is known today, um, at least after Jesus' day, as Banias. Okay? So there's three different names. There's Pania, then it becomes Caesarea Philippi, and then it becomes Banias. Okay, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Pania gets its name from the Greek god Pan. Very good. Okay, Pan is the god of wild things, and um, anyways, and so it got into fertility cults and, and that kind of stuff. It was a very decadent spot, um, and then it was uh, Philip, Herod Philip. That's the one who killed John the Baptist. You know, he took his his sister's wife. Okay. And um, anyways, he made this place a whole lot bigger. Amazing how they had cameras back then to be able to take pictures of this, huh? Anyways, so artist, art, artist, artist rendering of it. And, uh, but he, he, he enlarged it, made it beautiful, and he offered it as, a, as an offering to... Nope. Caesar. Because in the Roman eyes, Caesar also was a... 
God. They had emperor worship, right? So he offers it, and he calls it Caesarea. The problem with calling it Caesarea is that there was already a Caesarea that was down on the Mediterranean, right? And that's where Herod Agrippa is, dies because he claims himself, you know, here people say, a god, a god, and he takes the worship, and God kills him at, on that spot, right? So this then became Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea that was of Philip, okay? Now, what we see about this place is the Grotto of Pan, and you can see all the different idol places that are here. And so Jesus is coming up into this region. Now, note what it says. It doesn't say that he goes to this Grotto of Pan. He's going up into this region. What would you think about this region? Is this a place of light or a place of great darkness? It's great darkness. Yeah, there was a lot of idol worship that was going on here. And I find it interesting that Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation to Peter. Who do men say that I am? But he's going into this region because, think about this. Now, we're going to see this next week when we go into the Mount of Transfiguration because that's going to happen here too, okay? But Jesus is immediately juxtaposing what he's going to be asking the disciples with what the world does. The world has a lot of what? Gods. Back in those days, they would make physical idols for them. And so, like Arush just talked about in Thailand, they still have physical idols. In the United States, other than the Statue of Liberty, which really is an idol, we don't really bow down to idols. We bow down to ideologies. Does that make sense? Okay, and if you've been in Sunday school, I've talked about that as we've gone through the book of Ezekiel. It's amazing to see in the United States how many idols we're bowing down to right now. And it's very, very sad. But specifically, I want to address this concept of who do men say that I am? And so, first of all, Jesus then asks the question, and he gets the answer from the perspective of the world. And they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're another one of the prophets, right? Some say you're Elijah, okay? But, note this little graphic, who is Jesus? Because that same concept, Jesus says, who do the men say that I am, really applies to us today. Think about it. So, Jesus is here today. I'm not Jesus. Pretend I'm Jesus, okay? And I say to you, who do men say that I am? Well, the first thing you might say is that he's the sun god who was born to the sinless queen of heaven. Who would say that, Michelle? Catholics. Catholics. You knew immediately, didn't you? Think about this. A lot of you would say, whoa, no way. No one does that. This is what the Catholics believe. That he's the sun god who was born to the sinless queen of heaven. That Jesus was only sinless because... Mary was sinless. Mary was born without sin. I don't say I believe that. That's what the Catholic Church believes. The, so the Immaculate Conception has nothing to do with Jesus. has everything to do with Mary. Mary, they believe that Mary... Is this in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. This is not in the Bible. This is unbiblical. This is not just non-biblical. This is unbiblical. Do you get it? Okay. And so they believe that, that, that Mary was born without sin... And then she lived a sinless life in order that she is the co-redemptress with Jesus of your sin. That Mary and Jesus go together and that it's the tears of Mary then that help bring Jesus back. And so we talked about that in Sunday school and I'm not going to go there. You missed it if you weren't in Sunday school, okay? That, that all this goes on, okay? And it's this amazing. You think, whoa, how does this happen? And so what did the Catholic Church have? If you've, if you've ever had a, a devout Catholic neighbor, what do you see in their front yard? A statue. a statue of Mary. You have a grotto. 
You have a grotto. They make grottos. Okay? They have images. You go into a Catholic church, you have images. And it's their practice where they amalgamate. Now, I'm not pra- teaching against Catholicism. Understand? I'm teaching for truth. But you need to understand, this is applicable, what we're going through. This is all applicable to today. And we just kind of like, whoa, really? Yes, really. This is all going on. And so, um, in, in other places, like the St. Christopher medals. Christopher is the patron saint. Now, I don't believe this. I'm just telling you what they state. Christopher is the patron saint of traveling mercies. That's Hermes. That's the Greek god Hermes. That's the, that's the Roman god Apollos. Or, not Apollos. Um, Mercury, thank you. The FTD florist. Anyways. <laughs> okay? But that's who Hermes and, 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 and Mercury were. Okay? They were the gods of traveling. And so the, the Catholic Church just began a practice of amalgamation. And they amalgamate together. And so they just gave um, all these false gods... Christianized names and names of saints. Anyways, I don't want to go on. I, I, I know so much more, but in that, I just, but it's, it's a side subject, okay? What about, he's the spirit brother of Satan who became God. Became a God. The spirit brother of Satan who became a God. Mormonism. Mormonism. Church of Latter-day Saints. That's exactly right. Mormonism. That's exactly what the Mormons believe. That he is the brother of Satan who became a God, and you can become a God just like he became a God. And yet they want to call themselves what? Christians. Do you get it? When they come to you, and they come to you in the name of Jesus, I promise you, they haven't got the same Jesus. That's not my Jesus. Do you get it? Okay. What about this one? The incarnate Archangel Michael. That Jesus is the incarnate Archangel Michael. Jehovah's Witnesses. Right, Gerald? You should know that. Come on. Minister to your sister. You know that. So, the, the reality is that that's what they believe. That Jesus was Michael, the, the, patron, the, the patron saint, <laughs> angel, um, over Israel. And, and that he, he became a god as well. He became incarnate. This is not so stuff, isn't it? You think, how could people believe this? It's not in the Bible. Do you know when um, we have guys that work for the government and their job is to tell what counterfeit money looks like? Do you know what they study? They study the real thing. And they pour over every little jot and tittle, if you would, using biblical terms, every little detail of that dollar bill, of that $5 bill, of that $10 bill, of that $2 bill years ago. That's where they got rid of the two, right? Anyways, and they got all this money. So when they see a fake, they what? They know it. Do you know why we don't spot fakes? Because we don't study his word. Do you know when, when that Mormon boy, boy, he's, he's Mormon boys come to your door, they're between 19 and 22. They're on a two-year mission journey, okay? They're serving God. Okay? Don't, don't look down on them. They're serving God. When's the last time you went on a two-year mission journey knocking on people's doors? Okay? Don't look down on them. They, they, they believe they're serving God. Now, they're erroneous. Do you understand? They're erroneous in it. But God has given you the privilege to what? To give them the truth. The Jehovah Witnesses, they're walking in darkness. This is what they think they believe because they've been told this. They see a bunch of people who are living a righteous life and they think they must be right. And then they're led away by darkness. But they come to your door and you have the opportunity to what? To tell them the truth. 
But what do most Christians do? Boom! Do you know what they do when they walk away? There's another one. They say they know, but they apparently don't. You're not willing to share it. If you were a disciple of Jesus, you'd be willing to share it. Who do men say that I am? These guys are coming to your door with the wrong Jesus. And yet you say, I say, I'm not picking on you, it's each of us, right? I'm yellow belly chicken liver too, okay? That, that we know who he is. Because then Jesus turns around, he says, who does the world say I am? But then he turns around and asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer. Ding, 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 ding. He wins the prize. Isn't that great that we know the truth? How sad it is that we don't what? Share it. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah. I know it says Christ in yours, but Christos is the Greek word that is the equivalent of uh, uh, Mashiach, which is the, the Hebrew word, anointed one. They both mean anointed one. He is the anointed one who was to come. He is the Messiah. Okay, And so Peter, being a, a, um, a Jew, wouldn't have said, you're the Christos. He would have said, you're Messiah. So he, he cried, you're the Messiah, but know what he says with it. This is very eye-opening. So think about it. He's a Jew, okay, and he's making this next statement. This is a very profound statement for a Jewish man to say. You are the son of the living God. He, he states that Jesus is deity. You're not a prophet. Do you get it? He doesn't say you're a prophet. A prophet is a what? A man. He doesn't say you're a good teacher. How many times have you heard people tell you that? Oh, he's just a good teacher. He was a prophet. He says what? You are the son, the son of the living God. You're the one, if you would, for whom we are waiting and so, again, I don't have time. We're going to talk about this in a moment, but Jesus, um, about true faith. In fact, let me move on, because we'll talk about it then, because I know it's coming up, okay? And so, the revelation of God, Jesus responds to him. He says, blessed are you, Peter, son, son of Jonah, okay? Because this hasn't been revealed to you by your flesh. You don't, just don't know this on your own. But this has come to you by my Father who is in heaven. How cool is that? We're talking about the revelation of, of, of God in the life of Peter, Okay? That God made known to Peter. So when we talk about salvation, you make a decision. Peter made a decision. He either had to believe it or not believe it. Am I right? But where did the, where did the, the, the beginning of that faith come from? From God. God's the one who initiates it. Do you get it? God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God sends you to your neighbor. God sent people to me. I praise the Lord that God sent, that over the course of my life, he, he kept having people. I mean, I, in the church I grew up, I'm not, I won't say to the denomination, in the track rack, I was working as an usher. I only did that so I didn't have to sit in the service, you know? So here I am in back, I mean, that's for real, right? I'm back there, and I'm just kind of looking around at something to do while the, 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 the pastor's doing his homily, and, and I look at the track rack, you know? <laughs> And somebody put a chick track. You know, chick track's one of those black little tracks that go this way. And it was called, This Is Your Life. Why it was in that church, I haven't got a clue. Somebody probably was visiting, and they just kind of slipped it in there. You know, and it's one of those, you know, take tracks, right? They're here, right? Take your tracks out. 
In fact, here's a good I am track. It goes along with your message and what I'm going to share in just a moment, okay? And we have them in the back there, all the I am tracks, okay? And so, anyways, I read that thing, and I said the prayer off the back of the track. Now, was I saved back then? I don't know. I know my life kind of did one of these things, but when I was 23 years old, I remember, oh, uh, Woody Prophet's coming. He's going to be the family camp speaker. So that's kind of fun. Anyways, yeah, isn't that kind of exciting? Anyways, but God brought Woody into my life, and, and Woody challenged me to read God's Word, and I read it, and through reading his Word, I realized I wasn't a child of God. But God did that work. Do you, it makes sense? God was, was drawing me to himself. But I had a what? A decision. I had to respond. I had a decision to make. I either was going to believe it or I wasn't going to believe it. That's what happens here. God is working in Peter. And, and Jesus says to him, he says, you wouldn't know this unless God revealed it to you. This is exciting stuff. So again, I like to ask us a lot as we're going through it. Do you believe God can do that? Do you believe God can lead you and reveal truth to you? I do. He, Jesus said that that was one of the best things. It was advantageous for us for him to leave. Because if he left, he would send the Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit, this is John 14 and John 16, that the work of the Holy Spirit was to lead us into all truth. He does that. Truth. Okay? If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's not what? It's not truth. Okay? So... Jesus' response starts off with the identity of Peter. And he says to Peter, you are Petros. Now, this goes back, and you can look at this in the book of John. I have that on your sermon note sheets, okay? Because Peter's real name was what? Shimon. Shimon. Simon. Okay? His name was Simon. In Hebrew, it's Shimon. Shimon. Okay? (coughs) Cephas, it's kind of fun. You said that, right? Cephas is actually the equivalent of Peter. Okay, so you are Shimon, but henceforth you will be called Petros. Okay, or in the Hebrew, Cephas. Petros is the Greek word, which means stone or rock. Cephas is the Hebrew word for that. So Jesus says you are Shimon, but henceforth you will be known as the rock. Okay, now we're going to talk about this in a moment, okay, because as we talk about the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church takes this, um, this passage, and they make Peter then the first pope. Very good. Okay? Now, I'm going to be a little bit different on this than, than, than you probably heard in a lot of non-Catholic churches. Okay? I believe that this is a twofold statement that's going on here. Because we have the foundation of the church. Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, what is the rock in the, in the you have to understand in the Hebrew that it's the word Petra. So he calls Peter Petros, but he says, upon this Petra, I will build my church. Different word. Different word. Same, same word, but one is the masculine, one is the feminine. If he wanted everybody to understand that Peter was the one he was building the foundation upon, he would have said, and upon Petros, I will build my church. Does it make sense? But he doesn't. Okay? Very key. That, that's in here. So I take this twofold, okay? okay? The first one is, is what we fully understand, and that is faith. What did, what did Jesus refer to? What was the antecedent that pointed back to what this rock is? What's Jesus or Peter's response? When Jesus said, but who do you say I am? It was faith in the true identity of Jesus, 
Okay, And so I appreciate David and everything he did because it's a good forerunner for this exact thing. Okay, And so John 14, 6. Okay, some of you stated it was one of the I am's. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, how many men? No man, not even woman, huh? Comes unto the Father except by me. You know what kind of fun? Um, and so if you, if you were family camp, right? You remember Ed taught us this as well, okay? It's from the, the Quran, okay? That the Quran, Muhammad says in the Quran, that any good Muslim would read the holy books, referring to the Old Testament and the New Testament. He also states, in, and I don't think Ed covered this, but that in the Quran it states that Jesus never lied. It's called Isa. Isa never lied. So you know what the best thing to do for a Mormon, or not Mormon, I'm sorry, a Muslim is, is to encourage him to be a good Muslim. Tell them they need to read the holy books. Because when they start reading the New Testament, what do they find out? Jesus states exactly who he is. That no man comes unto the Father except by him. And if Isa doesn't lie, but Muhammad lies, and it says in the Quran that Muhammad lies, and, and lying is okay because it's a work to the end, and that's not good. Do you understand? But even in that false book, do you get it? They can't hide from the truth. How fun is this? God's word stands firm. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, we'll come to that moment. Acts 4. Somebody, somebody read that for us, and then somebody go to John 8 for us. Okay? John, who's going to take Acts 4, 11 and 12? Some of you can probably quote this, but go ahead. Say it real loud. Whoever said I have it. Okay, Brian, real loud. Yep, got to go real loud. Real loud. Yeah, so everybody can hear you. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. How many other names? No other name. No other name. What name? Jesus. 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 He's become the what? The chief cornerstone. He is the rock. He is the cornerstone that everything is built upon, okay? Who, who has John 8 for me? Okay, David, good. read it real loud, verse 24. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Okay, now you said unless you believe I am, but in your version, undoubtedly, it says what? He. I am he, but the he is in a... I know you did, thank you. But the he is in italicies, okay? When you see a word in a literal... Bible, King James, New King James, New American Standard, um, you know, when you read those, okay, and you use those, when you see a word in the Telesis, that's the translator, interpreter, who was being honest, and that word is not in the original language. They put it in there because they thought it was needed to help you understand it. So, unless you, you would read, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins, but the he is not in the original. What it says is, ego me, okay? Ego and me, and so those are the two Greek words that are there. Unless you believe, I am, I am, is literally how you would translate it. Unless you believe, I am, I am, and I am is who? Yahweh. Remember, when, when, when Yahweh, God, meets Moses at the burning bush, Moses says, who should I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay? Jesus says, unless you believe I am, I am, 
you will die in your sins. That's why then at the end of the chapter, someone referred to that with, with Abraham before Abraham was... I am, and you see it all in capitals, the I am all in capitals. They get it right there. But twice in that chapter before that, he had stated that. He said also, not in verse 24, but I think it's verse 28. David, are you still in, in, in 8? Yeah, you want 28? Is it one where it says, when you see the Son of Man lift it up? Yeah. Yep, read it out loud. When you, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things in my Father's heart. So, the he is not there as well. So when you see the Son of Man lifted up, then you'll know I am, I am. So many people take that as the, the, the crucifixion of Christ. I see it as the resurrection and ascension of Christ, that people saw him die, but lots of people what? Die. There's one, one thing you're guaranteed when you were born, right? Well, two things, death and taxes. Anyways, but, but death. When the minute you were born, you began a process toward your grave. That sounds very morbid, doesn't it? But Jesus died, and then what? He rose again. And when he was lifted up, he proved who he was. He is life. That's what the word Yahweh, I am, I am. Literally, the word Yahweh in the Hebrew means the one who exists, in whom life is. He is the uncaused cause. Evolution tries to explain the uncaused cause by talking about a big... Bang. But you have to ask them, what caused the bang? They'll tell you it was what? Gases. So the next question is, where did the gases come from? Something had to be for others to come. God says, by his very name, I am that uncaused cause. I am the one who exists. All existence. Do you know how God still lives? You know, back in the 1960s, I think it was Life magazine, God is dead. Is, is God dead? How, do you know how you know he's alive? You are. Because in him is all life. If God ceased to be, everything we know would be gone. How cool? How cool is this? And so Jesus then says, upon this belief that I am who I am, and so in John 8, we saw, unless you believe I am, I am, you're going to die in your sins. How important is it? That's why it's a big deal for me when we saw these other things that they say who Jesus is. People believe those things are going to the, the bad place. They're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. Everybody, every single individual is going to live forever. The question is, where? How sad. And yet we have the truth that sets us free. And we what? We hide it. We keep it tucked in our, in our little track folder here. These are meaningless. Do you realize these are meaningless? And, and, until I what? I take them out and give them to somebody. This looks impressive, doesn't it? No, it doesn't look impressive because they're still sitting here and they're getting folded. <laughs> How sad. The fact is, these need to be what? Hand it out. We got lots of tracks back there. If you don't want to talk to somebody, if you're afraid of just opening up your mouth and talk, grab some tracks, lay them, lay around, give them to, give them to the, the waitress, wherever you're at, lay them out, let somebody read it, you don't know who's going to read the truth. But the other side of that is Peter. There is the, the fact that Peter is one of the twin pillars with Paul. Peter was the apostle to who? The Jews. Paul was the apostle to 
the Gentiles. It was Peter, though, and you can go through these different things. It was Peter who was used. Oh, we're going to talk about this in a moment because who Peter is. It was Peter who was used to, 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 um, to give out the gospel. So I'll, I'll leave that for a moment because I'm getting ready to come to it. And then, because um, Jesus then continues on with this, the, um, the church, upon this the, the church will be built, in that the gates of Hades, not necessarily hell, we read hell in the King James, but it's not that word. It's the word Hades. Hades is the place of death. Now, it is the place of death that is many times when it's used together that is separated from the place of... Um, uh, say again? No, no, no. It is the place of torment as opposed to the, uh, Abraham's bosom, the place of bliss. Okay? Say so, paradise. Thank you. Man, I, thank you. My brain was just like, it wasn't coming up with that. Anyways, so it is the place of death but when, the, when there's a consideration of the two chambers, if you would, of death, then Hades is used of the torment place. Okay? And so Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against the church. I want you to think about it. We've talked about this in the past, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it recently. Think about it. It's talking about the gates of Hades. It's not talking about the warriors of Hades. It's not talking about the, the, the armies of Hades that are coming against us and we have to be defensive. Rather, it's talking about the gates of Hades, which means that the church ought to be what? Offensive. We ought to be storming the gates of hell, if you would. We ought to be taking the good news to the people who are trapped in that city because we have the message to free them. Do you get it? This is exciting. They're, 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 they feel like they're under siege, but they're not under siege. God loves them. And he wants them to open up the doors, and he wants them to come on out, and he wants them to enjoy great life. Our job is to attack, not to worry about being attacked. But when you do that, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we ought to put on the what? The whole armor of God. That's right. Okay? We stand in the power and the might of God, okay? but we put on the armor of God. We have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have our helmet as the helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we have the shield of faith by which we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So you say the fiery darts. Why? Because when, when a city was being stormed, how did they defend themselves? Andrew, what did they do from up in the walls? Threw down rocks, burning oil, and arrows. Remember, that's how um, the wife of Bathsheba, um, Uriah, died. He died by being shot by an arrow from an archer on the walls. Okay? They would send out their archers. So picture that. Okay? You're storming the city on behalf of the king, the righteous king, and you are being attacked by what? The arrows. And so you have your shield to defend yourself as you go to storm the, the, the city. If you're not doing anything, I promise you, Satan doesn't care a whole lot about you. He's not on the offensive against you. It's only when you start working for the Lord. When you start entering into his service and you start pressing, if you would, against somebody's city of their heart, if you wouldn't. Make sense? Then all of a sudden, Satan has to what? He, he, takes, he starts shooting his fiery darts against you. And you start getting um, discouraged, depressed, down. You feel like dirt. 
you, maybe, you've, maybe you fall into sin and, and you feel like you're unworthy to, be, to serve the Lord or whatever. It all happens. Why? Because Satan is seeking to what? To keep what belongs to him or what he believes belongs to him where God is trying to redeem it. God is trying just what happened to you? Before you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong to the devil. Read Ephesians chapter 2. You were sons of the devil. That sounds awful. But it's either, you're either son of God or you're son of the devil. Child of God or you're child of the devil. It, it, there's no middle ground. You can't say, well, I'm neither one. No, you are. You may not be actively worshiping Satan, but if you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. That's awful. And our job is to go deliver them, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. This is kind of exciting stuff for me. You can tell. The authority of Peter, I will give you, and this is singular. We want to talk about this is to the church, and later he talks about it to the church in chapter 18. But right here, this is you, is singular. He's talking to Peter. He says to Peter, and I will give you, not the church, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. You say, well, wow, that's really impressive. I want you to think about this, though, because this is actually plays out in the book of Acts. It's Peter who has the power and the authority for the condemnation of sin. It's when Ananias and Sapphira, they come to Peter. And so, right, they say they're going to give a donation, and, and they don't give it all away. Ananias comes in, and Peter knows exactly what happened. He's given it by the inspiration of God, right? And he says to Ananias, is this all you got? And Ananias says, what? That's all I got. Peter turns around to him and says, what? You're a liar. And you're going to die right now. Say again. No, it's Peter. Peter, Acts 5, read it. <coughs> Paul wasn't even a believer yet. And so, he was still Saul. And so, they take him out, right? And then his wife, Sapphira, comes in. And he says to Sapphira, Sapphira, is this all you guys got? And Sapphira says, yes. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to be in a league with your husband? The same thing happened to your husband is going to happen to you. The guys who dragged your husband out are now coming to drag you out. And she dies. Boom. Peter had the, think about it, Peter had the power of death in his hand. Not too many of us can say that, right? But Peter had the privilege of, of having that authority at that moment. But it was also the authentication, authentication of salvation. That it was Peter that God used to Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world to authenticate that the gospel had gone out. So Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You shall be witnesses unto me, and in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world, right? So when the gospel first went out in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, who was it that proclaimed the gospel? All the disciples began to declare the wonderful praises of God, and people were attracted because they heard in their own languages, the Bithynian language and Persian um, all these different languages, right? The Medes and the Persians and stuff like that. They heard the wonderful works of God being proclaimed. But when it came time to present the gospel, who was it that spoke? Peter. Who was it that they talked to and said, what must we do to be saved? Peter. Who was it that responded? Peter. So Peter was that one who was seen to be the head of the church at that moment. Does it make sense? Then when they went in Acts chapter 8, when they go to um, Samaria, thank you, okay, Philip goes, and he, and, he, and he gives the gospel. People are getting saved. They hear about it in Jerusalem. So the elders send who? Peter and John. And it's Peter who lays the hands on it. It's Peter who says to Simon, your, your money perish with you. It's not John. It's Peter who says this. 
Then in Acts chapter 10, we see the angel come and speak to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, down in Caesarea, right? And so he, the, the, the angel tells him to send to Joppa to get Peter. So Peter comes because God had given him a vision, right? Peter comes and he says, you know, I'm not allowed to be here. So tell me what it is. And, and, and Cornelius says, I don't know. He says, I'm just telling you that the angel said to send you and you're going to tell me what I need to hear. And so he begins to proclaim what? The gospel. What happens to Cornelius? He begins to speak with tongues and same with everybody else around him. And so, so Peter is the one who then substantiates this. And we could go even in Acts 15 when you have then the council of the church, when they're gathering together to figure out what do they do with these Gentiles. And Peter stands up and he says, what? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> you know, it was through me that all this happened. It's not Paul who is the apostle to the Gentiles, but it's not Paul who God used. It's me. And every mouth shuts at this moment because it's Peter, who is, in a sense, the rock of that moment. He is going to be the rock who's going to hold that church. So he's a pillar, but he's not the first pope. Okay? So it makes sense. So it's important. So I don't want to sidestep what Jesus actually says to Peter. Okay? We like to sidestep because it doesn't make us feel good. almost feel like we're giving the Catholic Church a little bit of a credence. But it's okay. Peter was special. Just as Mary was special. But she wasn't what? Sinless. She wasn't the Queen of Heaven. But she was a special. She, God used her in a special way. It's okay to state that. She's blessed. Her memory is blessed. I mean, I don't know about you young ladies, but what a wonderful moment. I mean, you know, Abigail, Hannah, you know, the other day. God would come to you and say, hey, I want you to be the bearer of my, my child. What a wonderful thing. You know, but it doesn't mean that they become all of a sudden a goddess. You know, Annalise, you're going to be, you know, you know, you may want to be a goddess. You're not going to be a goddess, right? I mean, it's going to be a special thing. God would what? God would use us, right? What a special way thing that would be. So move quickly here. The destiny of Messiah, because Jesus then begins to teach them about what's getting ready to happen in Jerusalem, right? He's getting ready to go. He's going to what? He's going to suffer. He's going to be abused. He's going to be beat up. And then he's going to be killed. But he tells them, look at this. And be raised the third day. Do you get it? He doesn't hide that part. He doesn't say, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to beat me up. Peter, like most of us, doesn't listen to what? The whole thing. We only hear bits and pieces and we, and we start responding before we hear the whole thing. So Peter comes back and says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. What, you don't want me to raise from the dead? <laughs> you know, I mean, you almost think, like, Whoa, you know, it's like, because he wasn't listening. But don't we do that? We talk before we think. Yeah, I got a size 10 mouth. It's probably about size 20. I think I can get both sides, both, <coughs> both my feet in it at one time. And we do that. I love Peter from that perspective. He's just very honest. He's just out there. What he's thinking, boom, it just, it just comes out. But Jesus rebukes him then, okay? He rebukes him back and says, Peter, get behind me, what? Satan. Ooh, he goes from, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonah, for this is, you know, you can only reveal to you by God the Father, right? To now, get behind me, Satan. Wow, what a moment. I mean, you know, I'm great. Oh, I'm bad. Did you ever feel that way? <laughs> Did you ever go from the, you know, we, we talked about that, right, Chuck? From, the, from the, the thrill of victory to the agony of the defeat, right? I mean, boom, boom, you know? And so, literally, he says to him, you are an offense to me. The word is the word scandalon. Scandalon literally is a trap stick, or it's sometimes referred to as a snare, okay, which is the same thing. And the idea is that a, an animal comes in here, they bump the trap stick, and what happens? 
it comes down and smash. Okay, one of these snares, really the whole thing isn't a snare, it's a snare trap. You hit the snare, right, which is this, this is the scandalong. And so a bear comes in there, a bear puts his foot in there. I mean, a bear could touch the, uh, the pointed part, and it doesn't do anything. The bear touches the snare, and it sets the what? The trap. Get it? Okay, so when we talk about the word offense, the word scandalon, we bring it into English as a what? As a scandal. It's scandalized, okay? And that's the idea. Someone <laughs> knocked out the what? The stick. <laughs> Make sense? Okay, and then they got what? Smushed by it. Don't play with sin. This is what sin is. And you can play in that minefield all day. And you think what? I'm good. It's not happening to me, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, what? Oops, I stepped too far back. You ever think about the mouse eating the cheese? It gets a lot of that cheese for a while, right? Depending on where it's standing. And then all of a sudden, it eats just a little bit too much, and what happens? The wages of sin is death. That's what Jesus is saying to... Now, he's not the word that Jesus is going to die, but he says to Simon, think about it, you are a snare to me. You're trying to get me to do something that's not my purpose in life. We do that to one another. Arouge, you and Pat are called back to Thailand. Don't you love it in the United States? Just think of what you could do here in the United States. Think of all the money you can make, Arouge. You, and, and, and the money you could set aside and you could serve God with all this money. Think about it. We laugh, but we do this. That happened to me when I was in the military and, 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 and God called me into the ministry and I knew I was getting out of the military and I was going to go to seminary. I had people literally say, don't do that. I, was, I went to the number three school in the country with computer science. I was, I was the artificial intelligence guy with the military. I mean, again, you've heard me share this, right? This is mobile subscriber equipment. This is what we worked on when I was in the military. That's how old I am. Okay? And so people said, you could just think of the job you could get. Just take half the money that you make and set it aside and how you could serve God. And then after so many years, if, if you want to go serve the Lord, do it. But I knew the minute I did, that was a what? It was a snare. It was a trap to me. I knew the minute I went that way, I'd never follow God. Don't do that to anybody else. And so Romans 14 talks about, if meat causes my brother to what? Sin. If meat is the, that, that trap, right? If meat is that, I mean, think about it. When you're catching a bear, what do you put there? <laughs> Piece of meat, right? Okay? So if meat is it, then don't what? Don't eat meat. I hope nobody's offended by chili because nobody's going to be eating today. Anyways. <laughs> Unless you like him, right? Amen. The influence of the world. Jesus says to him, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking like the, wor thinking like the world. So, very quickly, at the very end, Jesus then gives the, about his company, the company of the disciples, and he gives them the present posture. And the present posture is going to be one of self-denial. The world tells us that the chief of all things is self-preservation. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you realize that God, God takes the thought processes of the world, and he turns them upside down. Instead of self-preservation, it's self-denial. Those who come after him will deny himself. They're not going to worry about losing their life or saving their life. They're going to be looking at losing their life because they realize in losing their life, they will actually find it. That's a hard principle, okay? But 
God calls you to take up your cross, what? Daily. It's not his cross, it's his cross. And then the future reward is going to be at the return of Christ. When he comes back, we'll receive our rewards. But our rewards will be in accordance to our works. I don't have time to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but you can go and read it. But we're told that even as believers, we're going to go before the Bema judgment seat of Christ. And we will receive what we've done in the flesh. So you're saved if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're saved. You can't lose that. But you will give an account for what you've done in the flesh. Have you served him or not served him? Make sense? We think we're not going to go before the white throne judgment of God, and we're not. But in 2 Corinthians 5, we're told about the judgment seat of Jesus that we will stand before, and we will give an account for what we have done. So, in the end, who do you say Jesus is? What does your life reveal? How effectively you're taking up your cross. I don't know what your cross is. It's going to be different than my cross. It's not the same as Jesus' cross. But whatever your cross is, how effectively are you taking it up? What is your goal in life? Are you trying to gather up as much of the world as you can? And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you care about us and that you love us. But you care that we know the truth. And Lord, there is so much falsehood that is out in the world right now that it behooves us to know the truth because it will set us free. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to take up our cross daily and to follow you. Not willing, not looking at preserving our life, but willing to lose our life that we might serve you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.